So, welcome everyone to Riverside Calvary Chapel, to our, our midweek teaching here. Looking through the Bible from 30,000 feet, I think last time I said 3,000 feet, but I think we're, we're up there in the clouds, five miles up, six miles up. So, we are going through... Um, First of all, I hope everyone's doing well at home, um, and thanks for tuning in and, and uh, listening and hearing through God's Word with us. Uh, we've been going uh, this uh, Bible at 30,000 feet. We've been going, it's kind of an overview of the whole Bible, so we've been going through quite large portions of Scripture um, in each teaching, and believe it or not... But at this point in time, I'm going through two books. I've just given you a, a few moments to um, laugh. and, and uh, But we're, I'm going to go through the books of, of Titus and uh, Philemon. So uh, I think last week uh, uh, Pete went through uh, First and Second Timothy. So I'm going to go through these two books uh, for us uh, today. Um, a couple of little letters that Paul wrote to a couple of brothers in Christ, Titus and Philemon. So we're going to take Titus first. So let's get right into it. Let's pray first here really quickly and, and just ask the Lord to be with us and to speak to us through his word here today. Oh, Father, thank you. Um, thank you for allowing us to be together here Today, Lord God, thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that you would just open it up, open it up wide open and clear to us here today, Lord, just hearing your, your word and these letters that you wrote to these two men that served you. Lord God, we want to hear what you have to say to us today during these times, Lord. So open up your word and speak to us through your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Titus, the book of Titus, um, actually, in the Greek, pronounced Titos, if you can believe it, but we're looking at Titus. The actual meaning of, of his name, Titus, uh, it can be translated nurse, which is fitting. He was a, he was a Gentile Christian, Titus, uh, a companion of Paul's. And, and quite literally, he, he nursed, Paul had him nurse and care for the spiritual and physical needs of various groups of people that we'll, that we'll see. So all we know about Titus is what we read about him in Scripture and a few small extra-biblical writings. But they tell us quite a bit and mostly the things that we need, that we need to know about him and his character his dedication to the gospel. So Paul apparently met him and found him along the way in his journey, and some say in, in Antioch, when Paul was in Antioch. But the clear thing is that this was a man of God, a man who was completely sold out to serving Jesus Christ and the furtherance of the gospel. And we know this, we don't just make this up, we know this simply by the things that Paul had Titus do for him and that he wrote about him and sorry my mic here let me get it and 
Titus, the great thing, and this is what we learned so much about him, is because Titus, his willingness to take on these tasks that Paul had him do. So we learned something just, just by that, by someone's willingness to take on these, sometimes these difficult tax, tasks that God has them do. So, uh, we, so we learned something just, just by that, by Paul seeing a faith and a gift in someone that he believed God wanted and could use. For his purposes. So all God, and that, the same thing holds true for, for all of us in the body of Christ, in the church. All God really needs from us, and you've probably heard this many times, all he needs from us is a willingness to be willing to serve him. I always pray, where would you have me and what would you have me do? I remember a talk that, that Pastor Brent, our, our senior pastor, had with me at a bike park with our boys riding bikes about 15 or 16 years ago. Me and Brent were standing off to the side at the, at the bike park. And he said to me, he said, where do you see yourself five years from now? And I said, to be honest with you, I desire to be in full-time ministry serving the Lord. I don't know how he, he's going to do it, but that's what I really desire. And then Brent carried on to, in the, in the coming months and years, to nurture and desire that in me. And to nurture my desire for that. Opening up areas of service for me to, to serve in. And what happened five years later? Almost prophetically, because he asked me, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to be doing five years from now? Uh, five years later, my wife and I closed up our businesses, packed up our kids, and headed down to Mexico where we served as missionaries for three years. And then when we came back home and uh, we shared the gospel on the streets and we taught the word of God in Yale Town, downtown Vancouver, for a year. And then I ended up getting cancer. And, and after recovering, I believed that the Lord called my wife and I back to our our home church here at Riverside, and we've been serving here at Riverside ever since. So the point is, I think it's, it's a great, great thing. And, I, and I, I encourage everyone to do this. When you see a godly desire in someone, a gift, a desire, a willingness to, to encourage them, say, hey, hey, I think God might, might want to use you in this area or that area. I see that gift in you. Those words can change lives. When we hear that from a godly person saying, hey, you know, you ever thought about doing this? I think the Lord might want to use you in this area. I see a gift in you. Anyways, so the jobs that Paul had for Titus. Let's look at some of those. Paul had written a kind of a, a letter of rebuke to the believers in Corinth. And Titus was the one to bring this to him, to them. Paul had Titus deliver this letter to Corinth, which is not a fun job. And we know about this letter because it's referenced in, in, second, in Paul's letter, 2 Corinthians. Titus also was the bearer and deliverer of 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians in Corinth. 
And he oversaw the collection of, of alms, a financial gift for the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. And these aren't fun jobs. It would mean that Paul trusted Titus to have the wisdom to counsel people through disputes, sin problems, defensiveness, financial fears, trust. They had to trust to give to Titus and Paul finances and trust. Were they going to get to the saints in Jerusalem? Why do we need to help? Why are we giving it to you? Is it going to get there? And, and, and we, we end up seeing that Paul also gave Titus, we'll see at the tail end here, the oversight of the whole island of Crete. A huge undertaking that he passed on to Titus. So this, uh, um, a little side note, that this letter in 2 Corinthians that speaks about the giving of alms, to the saints in Jerusalem. These alms that Titus gathered um, to bring to them, that portion of scripture in particular holds a really dear spot in my heart as a believer because it was through those scriptures, through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, and through 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, those specific verses that I opened up randomly in the Bible, and God spoke so loudly to my family and I to go ahead and move to Mexico as missionaries. But that's a, that's a, sorry, that's a side story. So let's get into the text here and let's look at this little letter that Paul sent to Titus. I'm going to read the first three verses for you, verses one through three, Titus chapter one. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So Paul frequently as you may know, in, in many of his letters, had introduced himself as a bondservant of God, which is a servant, yes, but a, a servant who is there serving out of their own free will, not out of, of slavery anymore, out of their desire to continue serving this master that they're serving, because they like it. So he wanted people to know that this was his desire to serve the Lord, and knew he knew that his calling was according to or a part of the whole body of Christ. He was just a part of a whole. And it goes the same with all of us. We, we all are. We all have a specific role. It's a great adventure, as I pointed out with, with, with my time with Brent uh, with Brent Smith, our pastor. It's a great adventure finding our roles in the body of Christ. And I love that in, in verse 2, that he lays out the end game or the reason for this, probably to encourage Titus for the long road ahead. He says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So it's not a religious pursuit filled with traditions to fulfill and pointless 
religious duties and obligations. That's not what's going on here. It's the hope of eternal life. That's what, that's what we all want. That's what keeps us moving forward during the hard times. And that way, to eternal life, he says in verse 3, is heard about, how? Through the preaching of the word. Which we're doing right now. So Paul says in verse 5 that he has left Titus there in Crete to, to straighten everything out. So this would, I would think, is no small task. Titus, I want you to straighten everything out there on the island of Crete. So it's no small task for him to do. And that is why I say that Paul had a great respect for Titus and his character and his godliness and his abilities or really, the number one thing, he had a great trust in Titus's reliance on God for everything. And not his own intelligence and abilities. Because the Cretans, as you may know, had a, had a, had a well-known reputation. And this would be maybe like, maybe like given the task to minister to some of the roughest neighborhoods in a downtown American city. Go, go and minister to those people there. And in verse 12, Paul refers to the accusations of the Cretans. In uh, chapter 1, verse 12 of Titus, he says, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, quote, Cretans are always... Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So li listen to what the, the commentator Barclay says about that. He says, So notorious were the Cretans that the Greeks actually formed a verb, an actual word for them. Cret I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but Cretazine or Cretize, Cretize which means to lie and to cheat. And they had a proverbial phrase, Cretzine, pros creta, to cretize against a Cretan, which meant to, to match lies with lies as a diamond cuts diamond. So, so Paul wants Titus to minister to these people. And he doesn't say, oh, well, just... Just take what they give you and, and keep the peace the best that you can because you don't, you don't want to hurt them. That's not what he says. Paul tells him in verse 13, he says, rebuke them sharply. Sharply rebuke these people that they may be sound in their faith. So th this isn't a fun job. It's not a fun job in, in, in any church, in any, any area, but in this area especially. It's not a fun job for a, a tough, rough group of people so some of these people were were going to be not only attending the local church in one of the Cretan city churches but some would end up being the elders the overseers saved people who were still maybe a little a little prickly coming out of their old lifestyles but they were the the overseer, they were born again. They were saved again in Jesus Christ. They were the overseers of their church. 
So Jesus said he did not, I mean, you guys remember this? Jesus said, I did not come for those that say they don't need a doctor. He came for the spiritually sick who admit, I need a doctor. I need the great physician. People that admit, I'm a rotten sinner. I, I, I need help. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's those sinners, like myself and others, who openly admit, I'm a sinner. I need help. I need spiritual health, and I can only get it through Jesus Christ. And some of these, some of the most rotten individuals on the island of Crete came to that place where they realized, I'm a rotten, I'm a rotten person. I'm a rotten sinner. I'm a wretched man. I need Jesus Christ. So Titus was instructed to use his wisdom to do whatever it took to get these believers in line to rebuke them if needed. And why? Not just to keep the law, but for their own good, out of love. Not out of religiosity or self-righteousness, but out of love. So that goes for, for all of us. I need to be willing to accept this kind of treatment myself by my own fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And to give it when, when needed. That is real love. Love for someone's soul. Love not concerned or not worried about maybe hurting them for a moment, but just speaking the truth into them and being there with them through it. So I, I personally, honestly, I'm not just saying this, I welcome this kind of correction. I don't like it all the time, but I welcome it. Not just encouragements and, and teaching and loving exhortations. Oh, Rob, you're great. La, 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 la. I mean, that's, we all like that too. But rebukes when needed. This is, let me just say this. For any of you that might have some of these fears about doing this in the church, but you need to do it lovingly. Just because someone is in church leadership does not mean that you can't receive an honest, godly rebuke from any brother or sister when it is actually needed or called for. So I'm welcoming it when needed. And every leader of the church should. It's a command of the Lord. In Luke, we're all the same part of the body of Christ. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3, it says, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So we're told by the Lord to watch over each other. If, if needed, rebuke, out of, always out of love, because we're part of a family, growing in the Lord. But there's a different command for approaching uh, unbelievers, people that aren't in Christ in the world, we don't uh, we don't treat them the same. First Corinthians chapter five, verses twelve through thirteen says this: 
For what have I do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. So, that's an important point to make. That, that we, we are called and, uh, and commanded to rebuke and lovingly rebuke and, uh, one another and help one another as we grow, grow away from sin in our lives as a church. But with the outside world, share the gospel with them. Share the love of Jesus Christ with them. God will draw them in. So Paul, throughout the other parts of this letter to Titus, is really just laying down the characteristics that should hopefully be seen in a pastor, elder, overseer. But get this, though. Even the congregants of these churches. Because we're all called by God to holiness, not just, not just the church overseers. Everyone. Everyone who's in Christ. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, here in Titus, you can look at it. Paul lays out the characteristics of an elder and the overseer of the church. And it's, it's pretty, he's pretty firm about it. Because these leaders will have to contend with some of the craziness that they see in the churches. He says, blameless, must be blameless. One wife, well-behaved kids, a giving Man, no temper, not a drinker or fighter or money hungry, hospitable. And I love this. He says in verse 8, a lover of what is good. That in itself, that can tell you a lot about a person. Are they, are they just? Are they holy? Do they love what is good? And not wallow in watching the evil of others but they love what is good. So now at the end of of that whole list in verse 9, he says, holding fast the faithful word. Because it's the word, the word of God, that is going to not only grow him, but make him able to oversee some of the contentions that arise in the church. The contradictions and the doctrines that show up at their church in opposition to the truth of the gospel. You got to know the word. To be able to do that. And I love this about God's word. I try to use as little of my own words. You wouldn't know that by me speaking right now. But I try to use as little of my own words as I can in a discussion about about doctrine or truth. Just rambling on with, with my thoughts. And I only use God's word. Because the answer is right there in front of me. You can't argue against it. This is what God says. If you have a problem with it, bring it up with him. So he mentions in verse 10 that the kinds of people that come for the wrong reasons, they're just filled with, with unbiblical ideas or, or what he calls idle talk. And right through to the end of chapter 1, he's really describing the craziness that can and does arise in the church, when we stray from the purity of the word, if we stray from the purity of the word, anything can happen. It's a free for all. In, in, in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, 